You're listening to a sermon from New Harvest Church in Salem, Oregon. We believe that you were created for connection to Christ and a community of his followers. This sermon is an extension of our desire to become more like Christ by engaging God's word within our weekly gatherings. If you are in the area, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about New Harvest and our ministries at newharvestch.org. Well, there's a couple other things to just note. We have our connection card as a way to um, share with each other what's happening in one way or another, prayer requests, uh, any questions you have of the staff. If you're new with us, we'd love to know about that. And these connection cards are in the, the seat backs in front of you, and there will be an usher on the way out or a plastic bin right there, and you can place them right in there as you leave. That'd be fantastic. We have um, the desire to... Uh, reenact a ministry that we've enjoyed previously called the after-school program through our neighborhood school, Holman. And we're in the process of, uh, of having children register. We're in the process of having volunteers to do it. Karen is ready to go. A few others are ready to go. And we also have a position, an after-school coordinator that would work with Karen to, you know, give leadership and organization to this important outreach to our neighborhood school. And it's a Tuesday-Thursday commitment. Um, and so if you know of someone that might be interested, there is a, a stipend with the position. I'm just passing it on to you. We've kind of um, shared the information in some other avenues, but I thought, well, maybe the church family knows of someone. So uh, Karen would be very interested in uh, maybe contacting them if they if you know of that for sure also we have been dedicating the month of october to connecting with some of the elders our leadership group in the church our governing board and two elders will be in the coffee shop to for you to greet them for to get to know the church better to get to know them better also to maybe ask any questions about the transition if you still have some and so it's craig kuhn he's in the back and he's our chairman and there's Craig. Thank you, Craig. And Kevin Offield is teaching twos and threes. <laughs> and he'll be there to join you as another one of our elders. Two elders this morning, uh, ready and willing to uh, meet with you. And then uh, our biggest event at this time of the year, which we in, uh, initiated last year, was a trunk or treat event. And it was a big event. So many people came. And we want to do it again. And it seems like the best way to uh, have fun on Halloween and also to be a connection to our community. And so you can participate in two ways. You can do something really good, donate candy, and you can do something really great. (laughs) Have a decorated trunk and join in. There are 10 families that have said, yes, we'll bring our trunk decorated and all, and we'll line them up out in the parking lot and people will start arriving at 4 o'clock through 6 o'clock on Sunday afternoon of Halloween, and you can be a part of that fun. If you were at all uh, connected with it last year, you realized how great it was, and so we want to do it again, and you can, you can sign up and, and on the shelf there in the lobby. And one other thing, the Adopt-A-Street opportunity that we have every quarter, uh, my friend Dave Bargabas and Larry Perrin, my friends Dave and Larry are going to organize it this time. This will be the first time in eight years I don't get to do it, but I know you'll want to do it, so you can sign up in the, um, in the lobby there on the shelf as well. Here we are. 
enough of those announcements, right? And ready to jump into Daniel. And Daniel has been already so meaningful to us. We've had uh, sharing about this and comments about uh, the significance of Daniel, the relevancy of Daniel, and how it's been uh, inspiring. And here we are. We're in the blazing furnace. Well, not exactly in it, but, you know, we're right there. That's the, the, the moments we're going to be looking at in the text. And our verse that we ended with last week is a monumental verse. It's just so big. And it's this verse uh, 18 of chapter 3. And I don't have it on the screen, but if you know it, because it's, it's just like the biggest verse in the book, probably. But even if he, God, does not rescue us, we just want you to know, your majesty, King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What are, what are they saying right there? They're saying, we'd rather die than do what you're asking us to do. And if we are to die, we so submit ourselves to that. It's just kind of amazing. You can just, you just sense this significant faith in these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they have been prepared for this moment as they grew up with the instruction of God's word in childhood, as they've been in this foreign land and seen the hand of God work, as they are together as friends, as comrades, they are willing to say we would rather die than deny our God. And that's the moment we're in. Right there, that moment, we could just kind of stop and try to take that in because it's so significant. And that's the hinge for today. And so in a few minutes, we're going to read the specifics about that. It was my senior year, and I was uh, kind of excited that the coach uh, made a decision that I thought was really a great decision. I was happy it had to do with me. But uh, it was that he was going to make me or have me be the fourth batter in the lineup, the fourth batter in the lineup. And I thought, whoa, that's really cool. I thought that was really great because you know what the fourth batter in the lineup is, right? (laughs) The cleanup hitter. He's the cleanup hitter. That's what we call the fourth batter, the cleanup hitter. And that means that he's kind of the guy that you can count on in the clutch. He's going to be able to hit consistently and he's going to sometimes wallop a home run. And, and so when the coach said, you get to be the fourth batter, I thought that was really great. Now, I only hit two home runs my senior year, but I still thought, ah. In other words, I was the fourth man. <laughs> well, that's kind of a silly lead-in to uh, what I'm about to share. But not only that, I'd like to say to all those baseball fans that something kind of interesting happened on Thursday night. The most interesting thing to me was not that the Dodgers beat the Giants, but that's what happened. But that in the lineup, kind of being a baseball guy, there were two players that were batting fourth in the lineup in a very unusual kind of dynamic. You just have to know this is a baseball player. One was excuse me, Will Smith, and the other was uh, Buster Posey. Will Smith, Buster Posey. Whoa, they're both catchers. And these two catchers were batting cleanup for these two teams. You know what the catcher, where the catcher usually bats? Last. And so, anyway, the coaches were asked, well, why do you have these guys batting cleanup? And they say, you can count on them. 
Now we're going to read about the best cleanup hitter ever, and you can count on him. It's found in Daniel 3. (laughs) All right. Well, you have to get in my brain to realize how I do these things. But anyway, this is um, Daniel 3, 19 to 30, and we are just off the statement from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold, even as I said. And here's where it picks up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace, heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the burning furnace. And you could say they fell into like throwing logs on a fire. And it's so crazy that they, that, that they, the intensity of the moment that they wouldn't even normally people executed in the burning flames would be, they would have minimal clothing on, not their whole garb. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see Four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looking like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach. See, he couldn't get too close. Torch him too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, perfects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. You notice there was one group that wasn't included? The astrologers. The astrologers are the ones that told Nebuchadnezzar that these three guys didn't bow down. But they were nowhere to be found now, right? (laughs) They were probably hiding. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. And there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and then defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses will be burned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. This is the word of the Lord for us and it's an exciting spot to be and it's easy, you're probably like me, to see that really the exciting or the curious or the most interesting point in the story is about the fourth man and that's what intrigues me. But guess what? What happens really here is that um, the focus, even as exciting as that is for us, is really still on Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is like 
uh, front and center. And that's the way he wants it. Remember what I called Nebuchadnezzar last week? N stands for narcissist. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar is the narcissist. And I was just thinking about how I enjoyed labeling him that. And then I remember, maybe you've been in a small group with me, when I would say, hey, introduce yourself and pick a word that would be the same word as the letter in your first name. You ever been in a group with me doing that? And you're saying, phew, I'm glad. No. In a small group, I'll have this as an introduction, and I think it's, it's really fun. You can try it out sometime. But I have to go first when I do it, and then I just have to say with all modesty, I'm Barry and I'm brilliant. <laughs> that's, uh, that's it, you know, uh, talking about narcissism. But anyway, there's a few laughs, and then I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll take back on that. Let's be a little more honest. I'm Barry and I'm boisterous. Now, boisterous is an interesting word because I used to, until I was corrected by my wife, say, I'm boisterous. <laughs> I know, it's, a, it's a humbling to admit it. And she said, honey, it is boisterous. It's the word. Bo-. Anyway, I know what it means now. Boisterous means that you talk a lot. <laughs> that fits. And you talk loudly. <laughs> that fits too. I can't tell you how many times. Uh, well, I won't. Anyway, I... I So I like that, and I have found my word for Nebuchadnezzar. I'd like to go around the room and just see what your words would be. (laughs) It's really interesting. But Nebuchadnezzar, the narcissist, there you have it. And um, it's true. I'm getting kind of sick and tired of saying Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, last week he was in the book eight times, this week Four times, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just, I'm, I'm, getting, t- I'm getting so tired of it, I'm calling him Nicodemus. <laughs> yeah, I did it a couple times last week. I'll probably do it again this morning. In fact, I'm changing his name. I'm calling him Mr. Narcissist. That's what I'm doing. That's what he is, Mr. Narcissist who wants to make the story about himself. Did you catch that? That was pretty tricky, wasn't it? Nebuchadnezzar wants to make the story about himself himself. That's it. That that really fits the whole kind of rhythm of the things. Uh, At at every turn, he wants to be the center of everything. And and he makes that happen. And so, so when someone does something in the, any way that would possibly make him look smaller, like not obeying his orders, Guess what happens with Nebuchadnezzar? He gets bigger, maybe even boisterous, bigger. And that's what happens in this story. Here we have it. The idea is his mantra would be, no one refuses me. No one refuses Nebuchadnezzar, the narcissist. Remember where we picked it up last week? He was very angry when he found out about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Very angry that they weren't bowing down to his statue, his idol, right? And so uh, something happens in verse 15 last week that's just out of character. It's so surprising. In verse 15, it says, okay, I'm going I'm to give you another chance. Second chance. Nebuchadnezzar, give him a second chance. It's just so rare. And he says, I'm going to strike up the band again. I'm going to give you another chance, and then you can bow down, right? Be good, right? <laughs> Well, our guys don't take the bait, and they don't do it. And guess what happens next? 
Verse 19, a paraphrased version. Nebuchadnezzar's eyes pop out of his head and steam comes billowing out of his nose. Well, that's a paraphrase. He was furious. That's right. He was furious. That's what we see here. And the literal kind of translation has to do with his face. The NIV just says his attitude towards them changed. That's not, that's not, that's not good enough. The idea is his face was contorted with anger. You can imagine that, right? That's what literally. Daniel, writing this record for us, uses words specific to the fact that his face matched, matched his fury. You see, he was hot. And so that's the idea. And, and the, the, the next thing that happens is he, he cranks up the furnace seven times hotter. Now, if there's any chemistry, any chemists in the group, you're kind of going, no, not really. He could make the fire seven times bigger, but seven times hotter. I mean, when it comes to a burning furnace, I mean, hot is hot. <laughs> so the idea here with seven times and how the Bible uses it so often is that it is as hot as possible. And the furnace matches the fury of our guy, Nebuchadnezzar. He's hotter than hot. And really, I would say in my next statement, he's out of control. He's out of control. I mean, crank it up seven times. How are they going to do that? And then he says, get these guys and tie them up fast, quick. I mean, so fast that they can't even change their clothes, you know? And they're in their clothes of position and notoriety. And, and so they have this key position and they have the, you can see the list of clothing in here that, they, that they, they're wearing and all other clothes. And so here they tie them up and the word urgent, a flurry of activity. As I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm kind of reminded of Gomer Pyle. Well, I know it's a serious moment, but Gomer Pyle comes to my mind. I have to admit it. As a kid, I watched Gomer Pyle, and you know the sergeant's name? Sergeant Carter, right? And he was really happy with Gomer Pyle, right? No. So here's what Sergeant Carter would do. He would, when he gave him orders, and Gomer Pyle was not quick to move, he would say, move it, move it, move it, move it. <laughs> That's what I thought of when I thought of this. <laughs> I don't know. Again, you got to get into my mind on that one. But here, that, that's what's happening. There's such intensity. Move it, move it. He's so mad. He's out of control. Tie them up. He gets the strongest guys. They're top, hop to it. They, they, and it's torching. This, this fire's going. And they go to the top of the furnace, this gigantic furnace, and they drop them in. And then when they drop them in, they are extinguished. They're killed. The soldiers are killed. And... Nebuchadnezzar feels terrible about it, right? Not at all. Nebuchadnezzar has no regard for life, except his own, his name. He is the ultimate narcissist. And so here you have it, um, the story. Now, there's a transition here that maybe would give you some hope. Maybe, a little hope. I had a little hope about it. Uh, looking at it and what was happening here. And the hope is that um, he pays attention to what's going on. And one translation says, then Nebuchadnezzar was dumbfounded. 
That's a good word. I like that word. Maybe that wasn't the best word. The NIV says he was amazed. I thought of the word shocked. He was shocked. Even Nebuchadnezzar. But I think the word really, what's happening here is Nebuchadnezzar is thrilled. He's thrilled. This is an amazing show. It's like he's in Las Vegas. It's a show. Look at this. And the way that he responds and how he he says things, it's like a Houdini kind of magic to him. And so he goes, look, 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 you guys, look. I see four men walking around. It's four, and one looks like a god, and wow. And so I think that his response is, one, this is entertaining. Now we've got something going. In fact, this is so cool that I think we could put another god on the list. You know, he's so impressed that he gives, he gives our guys a second chance again and tells them that he, he, they're going to be okay and so on. But here's, the, here's the, the thing that just dashes my hope is that really what I see here is that he, 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 he just adds another god to his list. He already had built this big statue, and that was a god. He created uh, a new god through the statue, and now he goes, okay, this is, this is really, this is Houdini-like, and we're going to have another god. This is divine enough, but the way he says it is really key, very important. The god, I give credit to the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but not, but not, not the god of Nebuchadnezzar. And, you, and, and it's disappointing because we've been building this, these three chapters. We've had like um, the, the beginning part where he sees how these, these young men from um, Jerusalem, uh, Israel, are just so strong, you know, and they eat vegetables. And he has that. And then he, then he has Daniel telling him a dream that he wouldn't even tell him what the dream was. And he reveals the dream and interprets it. I mean, he's seeing it every time Nebuchadnezzar is impressed. It's like, wow, there's evidence of God at work. And the story that we love is that God is taking care of and watching over Daniel and uh, and. Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. We like that because that's our story. We want God to take care of us. But in the, in the record, you've got to see this also. There's a God that is concerned. He cares about Nebuchadnezzar. Nonetheless, no matter what's going on, which is kind of uh, questioning to me, is that he cares. God, our God cares about Nebuchadnezzar. And it makes me realize that sometimes there's some Nebuchadnezzar-type folks in my life, and I don't know that I would say that I love them, but God does. In fact, there's no such person on the globe that God wouldn't love. He loves even Nebuchadnezzar, and he's pursuing him. I want you to see that. That's so important. Well, here we have it. The, um, the, the, the story unfolds. And so, what, well, what time is it? Uh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. So, you know how you can be popular as a pastor? Well, that's it for today. <laughs> you know, okay. Streamlined sermon. There it is. Right there. That's about as long as my parents passed. No, I should have. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> anyway, that's always fun to Jesus. But anyway, 
I still want to get at the real story. That's what I want to call it. I want to look at the real story, the story that speaks to you and me. I hope it speaks to you, speaks to me. The real story that is going to possibly give you assurance and hope, hope and assurance. And it begins with the real main character, and that's the fourth man. The fourth man, there you have it. Uh, We're back to it. It's the one, the fourth man in the furnace. You can count on him. And this message is, uh, you just... You just can't miss it. It, it, It's entertaining and impressive to Nebuchadnezzar, and so we want to look into it. And and really, something that has been a big debate for a long time, even now, is the identity of the fourth man. And so I'm going to help you to just scoot through about 50 pages of research and just say, you know what? The fourth man is divine. Nebuchadnezzar had that right. And the two possibilities that rise to the top are that it was Jesus already, pre-incarnate Jesus in the furnace walking around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or it was the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. And so the, what does it mean, the angel of the Lord? Well, in, uh, in, in Genesis 18, the angel of the Lord, referred to as a man and then as the Lord, uh, spoke with Abraham before Sodom and Gomorrah. There, there was a visitation of physical person, and and some would say, "Oh, that was probably Jesus, or the angel of the Lord." And then there was Joshua, Joshua chapter five, and then you have uh, Joshua getting ready to go into battle for Jericho, and the 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 commander of the Lord's army visits him, and and Joshua falls to his face. And, uh, and then is birthed with confidence going into a very intense battle as they cross over into the promised land. Well, I think we can get lost in trying to figure this out. And I think it's exciting to think about it as Jesus because guess what? Jesus has rescued me from the fire of hell. He has. And I love that idea. And Jesus walks with me. And I don't always perceive the fourth man in my life, but I think of it as Jesus. And personally, that's really uh, uplifting to me. But most scholars, and I'm, I'm not, I must not be a scholar, because most scholars say, you know, there's a, uh, the connection with verse 28 where Nebuchadnezzar says his angel and other times uh, in the Old Testament where the personification of God through a encounter, angelic, and so on, Michael or whatever. So I'm just going to say the message for me is that God chooses to be with us. God chooses to be with us. That's, that's the message for me. And thinking of God's heart to be with us when the Bible tells us about him planning to bring his one and only son, when Isaiah says in Isaiah 714, these words, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So fantastic, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. So here, the significance of the fourth man in the furnace is that the presence of God came alongside Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it gave him incredible courage 
and they were able to face death with peace and confidence. And that's what is impressive to you because it's impressive to us to have that kind of confidence. And I was just thinking about this oftentimes in the Bible, how how frequent it says God is with us or God was with them or I will be with you, the promise. How often, I mean, it's numerous. It's in the hundreds of the promise and the blessing of God being with us. And that's what I want you to think of when you think of the fourth man. Whether you see him or not, he's in the furnace with you. Now, this spills out from this in these intense circumstances is the fact that God loves to rescue. So the real story gives us great hope and assurance because God rescues now and forever. Now and forever. And, and that's, that's the message that I get from this story. That's the heartbeat of God that I've noticed so often consistently about him. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, is to rescue us. We were captives, and he came to set us free. So this is, this is the way God is. And I was thinking, maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew about Isaiah's promise from Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, so, so marvelous. But now, verse 1, I have verse 2 on the screen for you, but verse 1, but now this is what the Lord says, you who created He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear. I have redeemed or rescued you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. There it is. Another time. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I am with you. Isaiah 43. Do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew about Isaiah's prophecy? I do. I think they did. But then when they face King Nebuchadnezzar so courageously and he is telling them, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to torch you. You're going to be dead, dead, dead. How could they possibly have such hope and assurance? Because they not only believed that God rescued now, they believed that God rescued forever. And I just wonder if their buddy Daniel hadn't shared about a prophecy that he was going to record when in Daniel chapter 12, we read some uh, marvelous, hopeful words that would possibly sustain Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in as intense of a situation as they are in. As in verse 1 of Daniel 12, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, that's so fantastic, 
will be delivered, rescued, saved forever. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness uh, like the stars forever and ever. That's Daniel 12, 1 to 3. You can look at it. Write that down. Daniel 12, 1 to 3. So great. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing the fire, the blazing fire, that is sure to take their lives, and they are ultimately trusting in God's forever rescue. They are. That's how they could say that. They couldn't say that otherwise. They wouldn't just, well, I'm just going to be extinguished here and I am no more. No, their courage came from the fact that they knew God had a plan, an eternal plan, and that they could be a part of it as they trusted in him. And so they could face it with such hope and assurance. I know it to be true. I just know that they had an eternal perspective in that moment that made taking our lives not that big of a deal. The last thing that I thought of is this idea of a furnace and uh, how the fiery furnace can uh, relate to the fiery challenges of our lives. And we sometimes get thrown into them and sometimes we inadvertently step into them. And so I was thinking about this idea of turn up the heat, turn up the heat. An analogy of the fiery furnace. As life gets intense, as the, as the heat is turned up in your life and my life, as it was in their lives, so what do we do? I mean, how do we respond? So the normal, the most natural human response when the heat is turned up is that we either fight or flight. If you wanted to look up fight or flight, just that idea, the fight or fight um, I, uh, phrase, or I don't know, <laughs> you know how you do it on the computer, and you'll get hundreds of articles, hundreds of articles on how common it is for human beings to fight or flight when the, the, the heat is up, when the intensity increases. Have we had a little fight or flight going on in the world? <laughs> I mean, I tell you, you can see it everywhere. Fighting and flight. And you know what fighting is. Fight, that response, that anger, that increased heartbeat, that edgy, that tension, that, that saying things abruptly, saying things out of character. Fight! Or flight. When the situation is, I'm running for cover. And there's fear rises up. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to isolate. There's too much anxiety. I want to avoid. And there's so much, you can read about it, uh, connected to this human tendency, strong natural impulse to fight or flight. But I want to ask you this. Do you, as far as you can see in this book, see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fighting? Or flight. You don't. They don't. They're not fighting with Nebuchadnezzar. They're not raising up a big protest. They're not having banners. We will not bow down. And they're not 
running either. What are they doing? Well, we will fight or flight unless we follow the example of these three guys, these three friends, who clearly demonstrate peace and confidence. And that's the story. That's what I said last week. That's what I'm saying this week. What does God want to give us? What is the deep surrender and faith that we have in the Lord? Produce peace and confidence. If peace and confidence aren't there, then trust and faith is smaller. That's the truth. And what they did is they worshiped the one and only true God. That was last Sunday. They drove a stake in the ground. There is one, and it's a living God. And this Sunday, we learned that they walked closely with God every step of the way, and he was with them in the deepest and darkest situations, in the intensity that we beyond our imagination. As the psalmist said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. That sustained them. That gave them peace and confidence. And they, and, and they were sure that God would rescue them. They were sure that God would rescue them, either now or forever. So I believe, honestly, I believe that if by the grace of God, this rescuing God who gave us Jesus would assist us, let in what he wants, the result will be what he can do, his worship one and only. He is with us, and we believe him to be a rescuing God now and forever. Peace and confidence. Peace and confidence. Don't you want that? Peace and confidence. Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12, say it for me. They're really great verses, and they're on the screen for you. And it's just a summary of so much that I've been, and Tyler, have been teaching here as we've launched in this book, Daniel. So much of it. Look at these words. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. Remember when we talked about them being tested, chapter 1? You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. Is this Daniel or what? You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance now and forever. I love that we have the communion meal to be able to connect with God, seal something he's doing in our hearts and minds today. The communion meal's ready here and in the back. This is our personal time. We invite you to have a personal connection with God as symbolic in these elements, his body, his life, his closeness, his shed blood, forgiveness, redemption, rescuing. Take the cups, go back to your seat, have a time of just uh, uh, 
prayer and reflection, dedication and surrender can be very special, very significant. So will you please stand and we'll, we'll move into our communion and response time. to end our, our morning a, a little bit differently uh, today. I want to invite Elvin Kaufman to come up. Elvin's one of our, our elders. And uh, my dad, the guy who is speaking, the pastor, Barry, that you all know, is having uh, a knee replacement surgery tomorrow. And he kind of said, you know what? We make a big deal about the pastor doing all this. But I know that many of you have been praying for him. And so I thought it would be good to publicly pray for him, allowing all of you to be a part of praying for him. So he's going to come up, hobble up a little bit because he needs a new knee and Elvin's going to pray for him. And we just lift up his time of surgery happening tomorrow morning. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, You may wonder why he asked me. Uh, I had a knee injury when I was 17 and since then I've had five knee surgeries since And uh, two and a half years ago, I had a complete knee replacement, and I praise God that it's healed and I can participate and walk and not have pain at all. I'm very thankful. The doctors do the work. God does the healing. And the same is going to happen with Barry right here. Let's pray. Dear God, we claim the fact that you are a God who heals And no matter whether you used uh, dirt and water and rubbed it on people's eyes or you asked people to go bathe in the river or in our day you send them to the doctor and the doctor does his technique whether he uses the scalpel and the tools or the arthroscope or in Barry's case he'll use a robot We thank you, God, that you will provide the healing. The doctor does the work, but you are the God who heals. We ask you, Lord, that you would direct the whole process, whether it's through the therapist, whether it's through Wendy who gives support back in the family home, or whatever it is, you are our God. We're trusting you for the healing that's going to take place, and we're going to thank you and praise you for the end result when it all is said and done. You are a mighty God, and we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.